So how's everybody doing this morning? Great. Heard some goods, heard some greats. Hey, we're off to a good start. So uh, I am excited to be preaching this morning, and uh, we're continuing on the story with, uh, with Jesus. And last week, we talked about the birth, and uh, were you expecting like Christmas trees or something around? I wasn't sure if you were Christmas in almost July, but it just hit summer, I think, a couple days ago in Ohio, so that's always good uh, as well. We'll have our 90s days for a while. But uh, um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start out in John chapter 3 this morning. John chapter 3. So have you ever uh, expected, you've gone into a situation expecting something only to realize it wasn't what you expected? Does that make sense? You've ever gone into a situation, so maybe uh, students, maybe you're going to ask somebody to prom or homecoming or something and you do those weird quirks. And you were expecting them to say no, but they said yes. And you're like, now what do I do? I was expecting them to say no. And, and so we had a little situation uh, like that a couple of years ago. I don't know if I've told the story or not. If I told this story, then just laugh and pretend you haven't heard it before. Uh, but uh, we, we used to go Christmas tree shopping a lot. So we used to go to different Christmas tree farms. And we used to go uh, out by Stacy's parents in the Bowling Green area. And they used to have this super sweet... Christmas tree farm. And I grew up in Florida, so we decorate palm trees. And so it was kind of an experience. You know, I married Stace, and she's like, hey, we always go Christmas tree shopping at this farm. So, uh, so we went there and, uh, for a while, and then they eventually shut it down because their kids graduated from, uh, from college, so they didn't need, you know, to pay for their kids' tuition anymore with the Christmas tree farm. So they shut it down. So we go looking around here, and uh, we find this one spot. And so we pull in, and it looks like an old abandoned um, house. And so we pull in. No one else is around. We're like, okay, check off uh, sketch place number one. So we pull in. We're like, okay, maybe the Christmas tree farm's hiding out back or something. I don't know. So we pull in. We go up, and we start looking around. There are these little dainty you know, Christmas trees, some falling apart, some Charlie Brown-style Christmas trees, you know, and, and we're not seeing a whole lot of selection. So then we go around back, and there's somewhat of a farmish area, but then it just started getting creepy because there's no one else around. And so I walked up. I'm expecting this, you know, Christmas tree farm. We saw it online and everything, and so we didn't check the reviews, so we'll have to do that next time on Yelp or something. But so we show up, and, and I'm like, okay, and no one's here. You know, let me go see if I can find someone. So I walk up, and I get ready to knock on the door. And when I get ready to knock on the door, uh, I go to knock, and the door, like, opens as I'm knocking. But nobody's there. I, like, knocked the door open. And so I knocked, and I was like, hello? Anybody in there? <laughs> Expecting, like, this crazy, like, Stace, get the car started. We're out of here. So, hello? And no one's, like, around. And, and so I was expecting, you know, this huge Christmas tree farm, these people with their Santa hats on, singing jolly Christmas songs, asking me if I wanted a large saw to cut down the Christmas tree with my family. Needless to say, I thought I was going to get sawed up uh, that day. Uh, but I was expecting something, but in return, uh, I, I didn't really get at all what I was expecting. 
This is the scene we're setting here as Jesus begins his ministry. As people are expecting this lion to come down, they've heard of this revolution, they're expecting this lion to just come down and trample over everyone and everything, just, hey, I'm taking over now, Jesus is here, let's drop the people's elbow on people, and let's go. But instead, uh, a lamb comes into place in order to take away the sin of the people, and they are not expecting that. When, when you think of revolution, you think of change, you think of uh, of taking over. This is not the first thing that comes to mind uh, in here. And so I'm going to give a little brief, fast-forwarded uh, version of our, where we are today currently in the story. I encourage you to read through chapter 23 if you haven't. There's a lot in there. I'm not going to get to focus on every single thing. So make sure you dive in with your small groups and read it. And so we start out, uh, so John the Baptist is the forerunner for Jesus. So he's going around, this guy that eats bugs and honey, dressed in camel hair, is going around telling people that Jesus is coming. Not your typical person to say the Savior of the world is coming, all right? So people are like, okay, that guy's kind of weird, but he keeps saying, you know, um, Jesus is coming. So Jesus eventually gets baptized by John the Baptist. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. How many of you guys know that, uh, that when you set out to accomplish something for God, the enemy will try to distract you, right? And so it says the, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. He had fasted, and the enemy tried to distract him and to get him to fall for one of his tricks uh, by offering him things. And once again, uh, read. I encourage you to read the story. There's a lot in there with the temptation in the wilderness. So Jesus is tempted. He fights off the enemy. And he gets back, and now he's ready to start his ministry. And so today, uh, today I'm going to go through three stories through this chapter in the Bible, and we're going to highlight, and through observations, we're going to see different things that Jesus did within these three stories that are going to help us grow closer to Jesus. In other words, we're going to help you point people to Jesus as, as our uh, our vision statement says. So, uh, so Jesus is doing the impossible now. So we set the, we set the time frame. Jesus is doing the impossible. He's curing the sick, right? He's talking to the misfits. He's talking to different people. He's turning water into wine at weddings. And he's doing all these things, and people are just dumbfounded, like, who is this guy? Uh, we're sitting here. Can you imagine uh, you're just at a party? I mean, when they had weddings back then, they really had weddings, right? That was like almost a week long. And you're sitting here like, how tired are these? Do they have rest breaks? Do they have siesta time? Like, we're going to party. Everyone, we're going to sleep for the next couple hours and then return to the wedding the next day. And so Jesus is doing all these miracles, but he's standing up for the rejects and the outcasts and the misfits. And this is not something that people have seen from their typical rabbis and teachers. This is somebody different. And so we're going to highlight three stories here. The first one is going to be in John chapter 3. Are you guys in John chapter 3? All right. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up on our big Bible. Not that big Bible. We got another big Bible. So John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus. There is a man of the Pharisee sect, and I'll get to a second what a Pharisee is. Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God weren't in it. Jesus said, 
You're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't reenter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving, the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee, right? Now, a Pharisee was this religious elite person. They have studied the scripture. Um, Some people say that, um, some commentaries have said that the Pharisees have actually memorized the first five books of the Bible. You can't remember someone's name you just shook hands with 10 minutes ago, right? They have memorized the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. And he's a well-known Pharisee, a religious elite, an expert of the word. And, and he, he approaches Jesus at nighttime. Now, why wouldn't he just have gone and asked one of his Pharisee friends? Well, there would have been an uproar, right? What are you talking about? You're supposed to be the expert. Are you going to make us look bad? You are a pharisaical elite. People step out of their way for you to walk by, right? But he approaches, he says, there's something different about this guy, Jesus. There's something different that that I've never seen before. I got to find out what's going on. So he approaches Jesus at nighttime and he begins to ask him, what does born again mean? Now, why did, why did Nicodemus want to come at night? Well, I think he was probably embarrassed. He's literally an expert in what he's asking Jesus about. That's like, that's like me giving LeBron James pointers. Like, you know, LeBron, you may want to... Now, some people say he needs to pass the ball more, which, you know. But LeBron, just the way you're dunking, you, you got to turn the hips a little more. When, oh, would you like to dunk and show us, CJ? No, I wouldn't. But it's, it's like me giving LeBron pointers. So this, this person, this expert, is literally going and asking Jesus for advice, advice. What does this mean to be born again? And so Jesus explains to him that he has to be reborn of the Spirit. Now, it gets kind of weird uh, at times because Nicodemus is talking, and then he starts asking these weird, nasty birth questions. So he's just like, wait a second. So do you want me to crawl into my mother's womb again? so that I can be born again? Like, okay, if I, I know I'm not Jesus, but if I was Jesus, I mean, I would just be like, you ever had a conversation with someone and they say something you literally were not expecting? And, and then you're just like, what? Did I hear you wrong? Crawl into your, what? What are you talking about? But I can see Jesus just staying there nice and calm, like, no, that's really not how it's supposed to go. You're supposed to be born of the Spirit. It's interesting that uh, a lot of times we don't have to prove that we're born, do we? It's not like if I have an appointment with someone, walk into my office, okay, I got to have my birth certificate so I can prove that I'm born. Let me get it out of here in a frame and stick it on the wall. There's my degree. There's my birth certificate. Yes, I was born. No, you don't have to prove you're here, right? But, but a lot of times we focus on the born part, but we don't focus a lot of times on the living part. The initial stage is being born, 
of the Spirit. But Jesus is saying you have to be born again and continue to live on your life completely changed, born of the Spirit. Now, being born is difficult. Some of you that have um, gone into labor or seen labor happen, I mean, uh, birthing is no joke. That's a, that's a serious matter and situation, and it's messy. How many of you guys know sometimes being born again of the Spirit is messy, right? Being born again, uh, choosing to follow Jesus is, is messy at times. It can change you in the deepest way possible. And so Jesus is trying to explain this with people. Here's point number one that we can observe of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus took the time to meet people right where they were at. Jesus took the time to meet people right where they were at. Imagine a religious scholar, if Nicodemus has a question, wait, you want to meet me at night? How dare you try to meet me at night? You meet at broad daylight. If you're ashamed of the father, what are you meeting at night? No, Jesus, I'm sure Nicodemus approached Jesus because Jesus was approachable, right? How many of us can say that we're approachable or a coworker can come in and ask us without feeling judged or feeling like, like we're idiots trying to talk to you? But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't say, um, you know, I can't really meet at night. Uh, it's my night bowling time. My league's going on, so I can't really meet with you. Uh, let's meet during the day. No, he said, hey, you want to meet at night? Let's meet at night. You want to talk about this stuff? Let's talk about this stuff. I will meet you where you are at because I care about you. I want to explain what it means to be born again. He didn't care that he was a Pharisee. He didn't care that he was a religious elite. And Nicodemus approached him because there was something different about this Jesus. Something different he's never seen before. Something different that other teachers have never done or spoke of before. This guy's doing miracles. He's changing people's lives. He's curing the sick. There has to be something different about this guy. And so that's what Nicodemus was trying to find out. And then the famous verse is revealed here in John 3.16. Now, John 3.16, you may have heard it a million times, right? It was Googled a ton of times when Tim Tebow used to wear it under his eyes, right? I just had to throw Tim Tebow in there because I love him. Come to the Browns, Tim Tebow, if you're watching. But anyway, so uh, John 3.16 was revealed, and this was mind-blowing because it said, For God so loved the world. We learned in the Old Testament that God loved his people. But it doesn't say in John 3.16 anymore because we're in the New Testament. It doesn't say God so loved his people so much that he gave his own son. No, it said, For God so loved everyone is included now. And this was just like, People were, people were mind blown. What is he, for God so loved the world, everyone, Jew, Gentile? This, this, is, this is crazy talk. Jesus is flipping the switch. He's literally changing the way people are thinking right now. That's the Jesus that we worship today. That's who we point people towards, that Jesus. So that's story number one with Nicodemus. Jesus took the time to meet people where they were at. You can flip over a, a couple pages to John chapter 4. We're going to go through another story here. John chapter 4, starting in verse 4. We're just going to read a little bit, and then I'll explain it after. John chapter 4, verse 4. To get there, 
Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. If I were to look at that, I probably said, Jesus probably encouraged them. Like, I'm about to do something ridiculous here that's not culturally relevant. Go get some food. So he goes through, and they went to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken back, asked, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? See, Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh, living water. It's interesting that it says in the text that Jesus had had to go through Samaria. Now, he didn't have to go through Samaria. See, a lot of times when people traveled, if they didn't want to go through Samaria, they would go around it. It was a little bit further of a trip, but people were used to that. Nobody, especially Jews, Jews do not go through Samaria. That just was not, no, we hate the Samaritans. There's a long line of history because of that. I encourage you to to look it up. We don't have time to explain it today, but the history is just not there uh, to be able to enjoy uh, going through Samaria as a Jew. But why does it say in the scripture that Jesus had to go through Samaria? See, he had to go through Samaria because there was a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman. He knew he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have a choice. If he wanted to meet this woman at the well, he knew it for a fact he had to go there. So I can see the disciples questioning like, all right, you guys ready to go? So I got the map out here. We're going to go around. Uh, no, we're going to go through Samaria. What? We're going to go through Samaria. We, I, I have to go. Mm, see, Jesus, I don't know. Uh, popular um, people these days, and what a lot of people do is they go around Samaria. See, I don't know if you know this or not, Jesus, but we don't like them very much, and they don't really like us. Uh, I think we're going to go through Samaria. He was... I love this about Jesus. He was going against the grain all the time. It'd be funny to me if Jesus were here today, just you know, sitting around in our service or, or hanging out with church people. How many of us wouldn't like Jesus? You ever thought about that before? Because you can read, it's easy to read the Bible from out here and say, oh, how do people not love Jesus? This is awesome. Jesus is going against the grain People are just, he, he's breaking cultural barriers everywhere. He's just doing, I just love this about Jesus. But if Jesus were here today, how many of us would talk about Jesus? You see that guy that came into service, Jesus? Uh, he does things a little different than we do here at church. Um, he told the visitors they could have my seat. Only I sit there. I don't really like that very much. Did you, did you see what Jesus was, he was hanging out? with that guy that was really smelly. I mean, I just, I just, he's hanging out with those. Did you see who Jesus invited to church? That person was just, I, I mean, have you smelled that person? You know where they came from last night? Jesus invited them to church. How many of us today would take on this pharisaical attitude and we wouldn't like Jesus very much? Have you ever thought about that before? And so he goes through, he, he meets the woman at the well, he goes through Samaria. Now, it was a bad time for Jesus because it was one of the hottest times of the day. It said it was the sixth hour, which means it was about noon. 
Not a lot of people walked to get water from the well at noon. This lady did because she didn't want to talk to the other gossip girls in the area. She didn't want people talking about her. She didn't have the best reputation. It says further down in scripture that she had, uh, she had many husbands. The guy she was living with right now wasn't even her husband. I, I mean, I, she just couldn't keep track of all her husbands. I don't know. But she had to go to the well at noon, the hottest part of the day, because that wasn't the popular time at the well. People went early in the morning or late at night because it wasn't so hot. But she was there, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that she was going to be there. So he goes through, and he ends, up, uh, he ends up saying, can I have a drink? And she's like, can you have a drink? And he's like, actually, uh, I can give you water, living water, so that you'll never thirst again. That's what happens with us a lot of times is, is we're thirsty for so many other things, right? Uh, maybe in order to cure a pain that we have, we, we run to the, to the alcohol or we run to these pills or we run to different things and we're trying to cure that pain inside of us. And, and, and that doesn't work. So we go and find something else that quenches our thirst and that doesn't work. So we go to something else. And Jesus is sitting here telling the Samaritan woman, you don't have to be thirsty for anything like that anymore. I will give you living water that you'll never thirst again. That other stuff will look like garbage compared to what I give you. I will quench your thirst. You ever been super thirsty? You keep drinking water and all you end up doing is making yourself sick. You're like walking and you feel the water gurgling in your belly. Like what is going on here? And I'm still thirsty. But that, I mean, my thing is, is Gatorade, right? You have that ice or some of you guys have your, your, your beverage of choice that Water can, you know, water's all right, but when you get that Gatorade, that ice-cold Gatorade, right, when you've been outside working and you take that sip and you're like, oh, I only got to take a couple sips of this. I don't need that, that, that water anymore that just, it's, it's just making me, and Jesus is saying, I can give you that. I can give you that living water, and she's not really understanding. But see, what Jesus does here is he breaks tradition, he breaks gender barriers, he breaks cultural barriers. Talking to a woman you didn't do that back then. You did not go, especially by yourself. You did not go to a woman at the well and talk to her. Talking to a Samaritan, another no-no, another boo-boo, right? Breaking cultural barriers here. See, if it was a Pharisee that was approaching her, you know what he would have done? He would have just called her out on her sin, yeah, yeah, I've seen and I've heard and I've listened. You got a bunch of husbands, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you're a, pretty, uh, you're a pretty terrible person, aren't you? See, Jesus, he does let her know what she's doing is wrong, but he offers her something much greater than that. He doesn't care what other people are saying. And so the question I have for this is, are we looking? Are we going to Samaria because we have to? Are we going to the places where other people won't go to reach people that other people won't reach? Are we staying inside our four walls of the church, singing our church songs, eating our church food, talking to our church people when the world is dying outside of these walls? Are we coming to church or are we being the church? There are broken people out there and we have to go to Samaria we might have to break some cultural barriers. 
We may have to break some ideology that, that today is at its worst ever. We have to dive into some social issues. We may have to get a little bit messy. But what Jesus is doing here is he's breaking all of that. See, the woman was not looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for the woman. The woman was not looking for Jesus. She could care. She was going to get her water, turn around, er, straight back. She didn't want to talk to anyone, but Jesus was looking for her. How many times in our lives are we looking for people? Are we looking for people in need? Are we looking for people that other people have gossiped about and talked about and set aside? You don't deserve Jesus' love. Or are we going after those people and saying, you know what? I'm forgiven and you can be too. Are we looking? That's point number two if you're taking notes. Are we looking? Uh, a great ending to that story is after Jesus talks to her, and she goes back and tells all the people, hey, guess who I just talked to? This guy named Jesus. So word gets around to the other Samaritans. They're like, wait, what? A Jew talked to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this isn't, I mean, he told me I had five husbands. And they're like, uh, we all kind of knew that. It doesn't take a prophet to figure that out. But so much more than that is she was talking to, to other people and, and saying, this guy, I left changed. How many of us can say when we talk to someone, they leave changed? Or when we leave, do they just say, ah, that wasn't worth my conversation with them? Are we helping people? Are we looking for those in need? Are we going out of our way? The cashier at the store, our coworker, our school friends, students, People around us that cross by us every single day. Are we looking? I want to lead you to a third and final story here. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And as I went through chapter 23 of the story this week, I, there's just so much in there, so many stories. And I read through them all and I kept going back and forth. But then I feel like I was just led to this specific story to close. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes, hence the name tax collector. His name was Matthew, Jesus said. Come along with me. Matthew stood up and followed him. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. See, it's interesting because people don't like tax collectors. They, they were thieves. They stole, worked for the Roman Empire. They just, they, they, they did the old uh, uh, one for you, two for me type of thing, if you know what I mean. So they were rich. They probably threw great parties. But guess what? Who are the only people that went to tax collectors' parties? Everyone's like, I don't want to say something out loud. Other oh, tax collectors, right? They were the only people that came to tax collectors. Hey, everybody, here's a handout. Here's a stone. I, I put in my address in here, handing out invites to everyone. We're going to have a party tonight, dinner party, dinner party, dinner party. Don't worry. I got all the food. I got everything. I got the pinata. It's all set. 
we're going to have a great party. And then they show up, the music's going. Mm. Oh, hey, tax collector Jim, how's it going? Nice to show. Boom, boom. Tax collector Sandy, nice for you to show, awesome. And it's a party full of other tax collectors. Do any of my other people around here want to come to my party? All I see is coworkers. Come on, does no one like this party? Because that's the only people that went to tax collectors' parties were tax collectors. But what does Jesus do? He breaks down that door. He breaks down that cultural barrier. He says, hey, you know what? Add one to the list. Me and my disciples are coming over. You got that VIP table filled yet? We're there. And so Jesus, he calls on Matthew and he shows up. Now, he's eating dinner with the other tax collectors. Then the Pharisees start talking. See, it, isn't it interesting through these stories that the only people that are getting upset are the religious elite? It's not the broken that are getting upset. It's not the other tax collectors going, whoa, who invited Jesus? Who invited Jesus to this tax collector party? They weren't, it didn't say they were getting angry. It said the religious elite were getting angry. And so we go through, and he's sitting there, he's reclining, eating dinner with them. And the Pharisees start talking, they're like, who's eating, I love what the message version says, who's eating dinner with the riffraff? Who's it? Wait, hey, uh, disciples, what are you doing over at that tax collector's house? And I bet some of the disciples are probably like, uh, talk to that guy. Where I just came for the food. I heard they had the best hummus in town right? And so Jesus is sitting there, and he hears them. He hears them talking, and he says, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? Jesus, why, why, are you, why are you eating with these people? And Jesus says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Now, the Pharisees didn't think they were the ones that were sick, right? They had the law memorized, they knew and followed everything. I mean, from afar, they look like great people following, you know, God. But then you begin to talk to one of them, and you're like, whoa, you may have it all up here, but you don't have it in here. And Jesus is saying, well, uh, that's interesting, Pharisees, that you say uh, uh, the spiritually sick because what I see is that you're quarantining yourselves from the sick people. So technically, you're the ones that are spiritually sick. Ima imagine this. Imagine you go to the doctor because you're super ill. I mean, you are just, you can't, you can't even get out of bed, but somehow you make it to the doctor. You show up, the doctor opens the door, sees your condition and goes, ew, closes the door and walks away. Uh, so now what do I do? Just think about that. I used to wonder that when I was little. I used to go into the hospital a lot, and I was just sick all the time as a, as a younger child. And so I'd always wonder, like, gosh, I am so nasty. And the doctor would just come in, put on his gloves. All right, let's check you out. You know, I'd cough in his face, like, <coughs> and he'd just be like, you know, keep on going. And, and you just think, like, ew, how often does the doctor get sick? You ever wondered that? I mean, I'm a little strange at times, but I've asked this question a lot. Just 
how often does the doctor get sick? I mean, sometimes if I'm bringing my kids in, sitting up there, I'm like, ew, is, is the doctor going to, like, put a mask on? I mean, if I was a doctor, I'd just be, ew, I don't want to deal with that. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying, is he's saying, hey, listen, I'm the doctor. And he goes on to say, too, which I love, is he says, I don't desire sacrifice. I desire mercy. I desire mercy. And so Jesus is saying, I know what my purpose is. That's our third and final point today. Jesus knew his purpose. See, we're not saviors. We don't save people here. But you know what we can do is we can point people to the one who does. Hey, I got, the, I, I got this guy. His name's Jesus. He will completely change your life. You're sick? Hey, come to the doctor. You're sick? Hey, hey, I got a great doctor for that. You ever give referrals for doctors? Like all the time, even on Facebook, it's like looking for someone who's an expert in eardrums, and then there's a doctor for that. Or oh, I'm looking for someone, uh, they try to diagnose themselves on Facebook. Like, I got this weird tingly, you know, thing in my right fingers or a doctor for that or something. It's like, go to the doctor, not Facebook. It'll work way better. But we refer people to doctors sometimes, don't we? I like this person here. I like this person over there. And that's what Jesus is saying is, I know my purpose here. It is not to save the people that are already healthy. I've come for the broken down people. I've come for the misfits. I've come for the people no one likes, the people that smell bad, the people that have had five, six, ten husbands, the people that are divorced, the people that had a bad experience growing up, the people that are sleeping around with everyone. I've come for those people because those are the people that need a doctor. How many people outside of these walls today need a doctor? How many people in your current work need a doctor? How many of your friends at school need a doctor? People are broken. People are going to hell every single day because we don't want to refer them to the one true doctor. But Jesus knew his purpose. He didn't let other people talk about it. He didn't let other people change his mind about things. Hey, you can talk all you want, but you know what? I think you're the ones that are actually spiritually sick. You're a bit quarantined over there. Why don't you come join us here at the tax collectors? But that is what is so amazing about this Jesus that we study, this Jesus that we follow, this Jesus that we love, is he was willing to break down every door, every barrier, every social injustice, because that's who he was. He knew his purpose. As we close today, I just want to ask you a couple questions. If everyone can have their heads bowed and their eyes closed. The question I have is, what can we learn from Jesus today that can be applied to our everyday life? The term Christian, Christ follower, in essence, we are to be replicas of Jesus. Creating many Christ, if you may where people will see us and know for a fact there is something different about us. What is different about that guy? He follows Jesus. What is different about that guy? He has been healed by the one true doctor. He was once sick. Now he is made well. 
Number one, I want to ask you guys, do we meet people where they are at? Are we approachable? Would someone feel all right coming up to us and asking us questions, talking about this faith that we have without feeling judged or, or, or feeling dumb or feeling like, like we can't talk to someone because they're just, they're just too much. I can't. Do we meet people where they are at? Number two, I want to ask, are we looking for people that need Jesus? Are we willing to go to Samaria? Do we have to go to Samaria? Has Jesus done so much in our life today that we can't help it? We have to tell someone what Jesus has done in our life. We have to. We can't help it, what he's done for us. Are we going to Samaria? Are we looking for people? Are we just letting people come to us? Number three, I want to ask you, do you know your purpose? Jesus met with ordinary people with ordinary needs. Do we know our purpose? Are we pointing people to Jesus as a church outside these walls? And so as we close, I just, I just want to give a, a response time where maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what? This has really challenged me that I need, to, I need to live my life more like Jesus. I need to be a replica of Jesus. And these stories have really shown me what I'm missing. And so all over this place today with heads bowed and eyes closed, you're just saying, I want to make a commitment to being more like Jesus the way he was through these stories. I want to know my purpose better. I want to meet people where they're at. I want to go into Samaria. I want to chat with the Samaritan. I want to meet with people who are broken and tell them who the true doctor is. I want to give them a chance to accept the living water where they will never thirst again. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up real quick saying, that's me. I want to commit to being more like Jesus. All over this place today, just raise your hand, put it back down and say, I want to be more like Jesus. Before we close, I also want to give this, this time with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're sitting here and you've heard who this awesome man, who this Jesus is. This is God seeing that sin has entered the world and instead of sending everyone and not giving a chance for anyone to accept his gift, he comes down in human form with skin and bones, becomes Jesus, sends his son down to earth to die on the cross. And you are listening to this and you're thinking, this Jesus sounds amazing. This Jesus guy sounds above and beyond anything and everything that I could ever dream or hope for. And maybe you're sitting here today and you want to say for the first time in your whole entire life, you want to make a commitment to following Jesus today. You've never done that before. You've never made that decision. I want to follow Jesus today for the very first time. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up real quick? Just put your hand up real quick and put it back down. I want to follow Jesus today for the very first time. Let's pray.